That's awesome, isn't it? I think I saw every episode of Full House. My kids were that age. Anybody feel me? Um, every episode. It's weird when I think back about it because they were such weird characters, but, but they're all, they were all thrown together. Ironically, the house was full because each one of these people needed each other. I mean, if you don't know the show, it won't make any sense to you, but they all kind of had a different need to kind of come together. And all I can say is welcome to Parkview. You know, they were the island of misfit toys, and I guess maybe we kind of are too. You know, just all these people working together, trying to make sure the next generation got, you know, taken care of. That's what we do. And we don't have anybody living in the attic yet, like Uncle Jesse, but we probably will at some point. Um... So we're talking about a full church. We thought that was, I thought that was hilarious. A list of largest churches in America came out this week. Um, Parkview's listed at number 59. Does that matter? I don't know. Not really, and yes. <laughs> Not really, and yes. Um, does it give us bragging rights? Um, no. Does it make us important in some way? N- no. Uh, I wouldn't even tell you, except that we're talking about a full church today, and I want to explain why this is important. This isn't baseball, okay, you know? It's not like, oh, we're only five games out from those Baptists down in Dallas, you know? I hope we can... No, no. But does it mean we're accomplishing our mission? I think so. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together, and he says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven, more rejoicing, let's just go with this one, more... Rejoicing in heaven over one sinner than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So our rejoicing is supposed to be when we find the lost sheep. That's how it works, right? This church doesn't want to be big. It wants to find lost sheep. And there are a lot of lost sheep around. So we want more rejoicing. I read about a group of uh, high school students in Montana um, it's Montana, so it's a little bit different. You know, they have access to a little different things to do pranks with. So they decided to do a prank to their high school. Um, and uh, they, they released three goats in the building. They broke into the building and released three goats. I don't even know where you'd get a goat, but in Montana, that wasn't hard. And what they did that was funny is they spray-painted numbers on the sides of them. One, two, and four. So for the whole rest of the day, the administrators were looking for goat number three. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's what I mean. We are, a, we are a church that keeps looking for goat number three. Welcome if you're goat number three. If you're sheep number three, if you're sheep number 100, that's the point. That's who we are. And we live in the third or fourth largest mission field in the world. The United States of America is now the third or fourth largest mission field in the world. So the sheep pen should start getting bigger and bigger and bigger. If we have the good news, if we have the answer, we should not keep it to ourselves. If you saw the news this week, you saw about this, this guy who bought the rights to this drug that would save people's lives, that has been saving people's lives for like 50 years or so. He bought the rights to the drug and then jacked the price up 4,100%. That, that's what I feel like it would be like if we did not make the gospel accessible. We've talked about this around here. How, how do we do the things that we do? Why do we do it? We're trying to make the gospel accessible to people. We're not trying to make them come in and, you know, have to, do, have to go through all the rules that everybody else does. Like, are you good enough to come in? Like, do you like our kind of music? Then you can come in. You, can you dress up? Then you can come in. Can you leave your coffee at home? Then you can come in, right? And more importantly, 
do you believe in our view of theology? Only then can you come in. Are you only going to do the sins that are acceptable in our little group? Then you can come in. To me, that is like having a pill that saves lives and jacking up the price so high that no one can afford it or wants to. If you take away all that stuff, you might find a lot of lost sheep to hang out with, and I think that's why we're here. And listen, I want to say this again. Parkview is not for everyone. Um, There are a lot of great churches out there. We are not the kingdom, and the kingdom is about everybody at the same time, and and there's a lot of churches around that you might want to go to. Maybe this is big and you don't like it. That's honestly the beauty of our campuses uh, that I'll announce to you in a second. I mean, that Lockport campus, it only seats 250 people in there, so you you want an intimate environment? Our Lockport campus is beautiful for that, and we're going to have more, but but, but maybe it's not even our thing. Maybe you want to go find a different way to do things. That's all good. I just want you to understand that we're not trying to get big. We're trying to find lost sheep. Jesus told us that the lost son and the lost sheep and the lost coin should be the priority. And if we do that and we find them, then they're going to keep coming and then we're going to get bigger. And that's the way it works. So yes, Jesus set up that story of the lost sheep in in Luke 14, the chapter before, with another parable. He said, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all began to make excuses. All right, remember, Jesus is talking to the Jews. Um, This is who he's talking about. They they didn't want to come in. So the servant came back and reported this to the master, and the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, then go quickly out to the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. My favorite worship song, all the poor and powerless. Go find all the poor and powerless and bring them in. But the servant said, sir, I I read your mind already. I've already done that. But there is still room. This is a story from Jesus. The master told a servant, then go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Compel them to come in. Okay, this is the word right here. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, look at this. Compel them to come in. That's what we do. We are compelling you. We want to welcome you. We want to do modern music. We want you to bring coffee. We want you to come as you are. We want to do everything that we possibly can. We want to do an excellent job presenting the gospel because we want you to come in. Not come into Parkview, come into the kingdom. And Jesus said that 2,000 years ago. When there were only 300 million people on the planet. So if it was compelling back then, if the Lord of the harvest said the fields are white, back then, when the whole world was about the population of the United States of America, what do you think we're supposed to do now? Rick Warren said in his book, The Purpose Driven Church, he said, a church that says they have no interest in increasing its number of converts is, in essence, saying to the rest of the world, you can go to hell. He said, you know, there's this, uh, there's this idea people have that, 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 well, we want quality, not quantity. He said, what if your parents had applied the quality versus quantity myth to having children? What if after their first child they had said, nah, one kid's enough. Let's focus on making this child a quality kid. Let's not worry about quantity. Most of us wouldn't be here if our parents had thought that. The fact that many pastors wish to ignore this, quality produces quantity. 
A church full of genuinely changed people attracts others. If you study a healthy church, you will discover that God usually finds a church that is doing a quality job of winning, nurturing, equipping, and sending out believers, and then he sends his children there. When you go fishing, Warren says, do you want quality or quantity? I want both. I want to catch the biggest fish I can, and I want to catch as many as I can. Anytime someone says you can't measure success by numbers, my response is, it all depends on what you're counting. And here's how he finishes. He says, if you're counting marriages saves, lives transformed, broken people healed, unbelievers becoming worshipers of Jesus, members being mobilized for ministry and missions, numbers are extremely important because those numbers have eternal significance. Eternal. So that's why we grow. That's why we keep trying to grow. That's why we want to add more people. And by the way, heaven's going to be really big. Okay? The book of Revelation says that they numbered 144,000. The Jehovah Witnesses in their early days thought that was a literal number. That'd be a bummer, wouldn't it? You know, that means heaven's done and, you know, we don't have any chance, right? 144,000 is... is Two perfect numbers put together. 12 was a perfect number. 12 times 12, 144. 1,000 is a perfect number. 12 times 12 times 1,000, 144,000. It was basically the Apostle John's way of saying heaven is going to have more people than you could possibly imagine or count. Tandy has not invented calculators yet. Okay, You can't possibly understand this. So the real question usually behind all this is how did it get big? Because I can attract a crowd with, you know, face painters and jump castles and free beer, right? And, and there are free, plenty of places that are full of people and have no eternal significance. That was me passing over the Wrigley reference. Come on. You know, watch, just watch the wheels go, okay? <laughs> the heart of that rumor is that we must be doing something wrong. We must be doing something unholy if, we are, if there are a lot of people that want to come here, maybe we're watering down the gospel. And that honestly breaks my heart. Because when did the gospel become about the bad news? But, but, but I get it, okay? Some people will say, well, it can't be good news until it's bad news, okay? Uh, I get it. I understand. So here we go. Here's the bad news. Are you ready for it? Here's the bad news. There is no one righteous. Now, this is important to me. No one. Not, not you. You're not more righteous than somebody else. You're not less righteous than somebody else. Nobody's righteous, not even one, no one who understands, no one who seeks God. We're going to talk about seeking God in the Soul Man series. We're going to talk about how we can do that, but nobody does it enough. Nobody does it well. All have turned away. They've all together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. He goes on and he says, here's the, here's the bad news, okay? All have sinned. All, everybody, Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, whoever, the Pope, everybody has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. Bad news, good news. The good news is, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The bad news is, we all have a problem called sin and we're all headed to hell. And the good news is, if you accept Jesus as your Savior, it doesn't matter how bad you've been, how bad you are, it's good news. That's it. That's the simple bottom line. Is that watered down? No, Jesus makes you saved. Jesus makes you justified. Jesus makes you redeemed. Are we a big church because we don't preach about sin? No, of course not. We preach about sin all the time. 
because I'm a sinner. I preach to myself. Sometimes you guys get a little piece of it. We, we preached about the seven deadly sins last year in a row. Got them all, nailed them. Anybody got them all figured out? Anybody not do the seven deadly sins since then? No, of course not, because we're going to keep working on it. Transformation is our goal. I'm going to preach after soul, man. I'm going to preach on the three big ones, the temptations in the garden, money, sex, and power. I actually preach on sin probably more than I really ought to because we ought to all not wrestle with them as much as we do. We talk about it all the time. The problem, the difference is, the difference between us and a lot of churches is that we don't preach about one sin being worse than another sin. That's the difference, and that's a term I coined last year when I did Life on Mission, gracism. That's what I call that. Gracism is not about the color of your skin. For the most part, we've gotten over that. But we haven't gotten over the color of your sin, have we? Gracism is, gracism is, I deserve to be with the Father, but you don't. And that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. For example, the Supreme Court ruled back in late June that gay marriage was going to become legal in all states. I got up the next week and I said, listen, the Supreme Court does not decide what I believe. It doesn't change anything for us. And that's all. I didn't say more. I didn't say less. And that was on purpose. And that was an elder-led decision. You need to understand that. That wasn't just me spouting off. We decided that we were going to take a tactic that weekend, and we were going to decide how this was going to go and how it was going to be interpreted. And some of the believers in our church thought that I didn't take a strong enough stand because they were angry about what went on. And I understand that. And the rumor started that we were going to start doing gay marriages at Parkview. And um, we're not, okay? We're not. Nothing changes for us. We haven't changed our, 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 our stance on God's definition of marriage at all. I believe that God created it to be one man and one woman for a lifetime. But is that the biblical definition of marriage? You shouldn't say that. You've got to pay attention. depends on what part of the Bible you look at. That was the original intent of marriage, but along the way, God said, hey, you know what? I need to introduce polygamy into the system because women aren't being cared for. As a matter of fact, he commanded polygamy. Listen to this. They came to Jesus. I put this New Testament reference so you'd get it. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Anybody interested in that biblical definition of marriage? No. Ain't nobody got time for that. That's my grandson's. Ain't nobody got time for that. Jesus had to put divorce back in a category. I mean, it was supposed to be one man, one woman for a lifetime, but Moses also allowed divorce to happen. Again, for a reason that God had so that the women could be taken care of, but Jesus had to put it back in. What I'm saying is this is not simple theology here, but it is theology. It is not politics. The Supreme Court's ruling does not affect the will of God, okay? I, I never, ever stopped believing that an unborn baby is fully human. You can disagree with me. It, it's fine. I love you. you, can, you we, we, can, we can work together, but my daughter is 36 weeks pregnant, out in Ventura, California, just a, a few weeks, hopefully I get to Africa and back before this all happens, a few weeks away from giving birth. If baby Olivia 
you see the difference is I've seen the ultrasound now. I know what baby Olivia looks like already, you know, in a lot of ways. And I, and I know she's a human being. Supreme Court says, no, she's not. It doesn't change anything for me. The Supreme Court's ruling on marriage doesn't, doesn't change theology. So here's, here's our take on theology. God designed marriage to be this way. One man, one woman for a lifetime. So here's the deal, though. If your marriage, if your marriage didn't last and you got divorced, and it was partly your fault. I mean, maybe you didn't have anything to do with it. That's, that's different. Maybe there's, there are biblical reasons for divorce. That's different. I'm saying if you were partially to blame for your marriage breaking up, that's not what God wants. That's not what God wanted. It's probably not what you wanted either. But we still love you. I've never been divorced, but I'm not any better than you because I've done things that you haven't done. In the words of Jesus, I'd need to get the log out of my eye before I started picking sawdust out of yours. If you're physically involved uh, with somebody that you're not married to, or that is married to someone else, that's not what God wants. But we still love you. I'm not involved with somebody else, but I still love you, and I'm not better than you. Because I'm still in that pile of there's no one righteous, not even one. If you're married to more than one person at the same time, that's not what God wants. But we still love you. I know it sounds so crazy unless you grew up in Utah, but the father of our faith, (laughs) right? The father of our faith, Abraham, had four wives, okay? King David, the greatest king of Israel, called a man after God's own heart, had eight wives that we have the names of, and there were others that we don't even know about. And by the way, one of them became his wife when he took her and killed her husband. Uh, That's what I'm trying to say, okay? I mean, that's not what God wants. It wasn't what God wanted. But we all live in the sphere of redemption here. I only have one wife, in case you're wondering about that one too. Because who would want more than one (laughs) mother-in-law? Hello? I still love you, Mormon man. I'm just smarter than you, not better than you, okay? (laughs) But I still love you. And the way I read it, if you are in a relationship with someone from the same gender, a physical relationship with someone from the same gender, that's not what God wants. But I still love you, and I'm not better than you. And if you want to know why we didn't say more about it at the time, it's because it was... It it was a human rights issue to a whole lot of people in the United States of America. Whether you agree that it was or not, it was a human rights issue to a lot of people. And we did not want to alienate the people that we are trying to reach because we love the LGBT community. We did not want to be this church, okay? You've seen me show this picture a whole bunch of times probably along the way. Someday I'm going to meet this poor guy and he's going to punch me in the head because I have used this picture all over the country because it epitomizes to me the conundrum of Christianity, right? We're, we had our little sheep up here. We're finding and feeding the lost sheep. And then what are we doing here? Yelling at him, Right? I kissed a girl and I liked it, and, and then I went to hell. The irony of this is it made big, you know, public news, and we're all like, oh, man, this is not how Jesus ought to be represented, okay? The interesting thing was <laughs> when he was asked about it, he took it down. When he was asked about it, he said it wasn't because he changed his mind. It's because his, uh, his parishioners were confused. They didn't know what it was in reference to. <laughs> 
I mean, if you hadn't heard the Katy Perry song and you're a member of this guy's church and you go by and read this, what are you thinking? Pastor, do we need to have a congregational meeting? I mean, you kissed a girl. What? What happened? Where? Where? So he took it down, right? That's a lose-lose scenario right there. That's the whole problem. And I don't know if you heard me say this or not, but if you don't know anything about sheep, here's one thing I can assure you. You will never get them to come home by yelling at them, right? Do you have a dog that wanders off every once in a while, gets out of the gate or whatever, runs away? Does it help when you go out and yell at them? And my dogs, it always made them run farther and farther away, right? That's, that's what I'm talking about. That doesn't work. Do you have a cat that runs away? Nothing works. <laughs> Cats were not meant to be pets. I mean, it, this doesn't matter, okay? Just, just remember, okay? I'm trying to diffuse some of the uh, obvious tension in the room. Help me out here, okay? This is what we want everybody to see because this is who Jesus was. He was me. I'm up here on the cross. Oh, there's a thief down there. Hey, can I go to heaven? Yeah, you can go to heaven. You're being executed for your crime. But if you turn to me, if you want me, then yeah, you can come with me. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Well, did he, did, did, he, did he repent from his sins? Did he get baptized? Did he know all the things he was supposed to do? We don't have any idea what was going on in that guy's mind. He might have just been desperate thinking, I'm going to die and maybe this is real and here I go. I'm kind of guessing the heavens is going to be full of a whole lot of people like that. Because what happens, however, is this is what the church sees a lot. This is what the people of the world see a lot of the church. Instead of Jesus on the cross, it's the scarecrow. And again, if Jesus had, if God had wanted to condemn the world, he would have sent a condemner. But he wanted to save the world, so he sent uh, a savior. That's what the Bible tells us over and over and over again. So if the arms of Jesus are open to everyone, no matter what their deal is, then the arms of Parkview are going to be open to everyone, no matter what their deal is. And here's the thing you need to understand. One of, the things that, one of the other things that really breaks my heart about this issue, about sexuality issues, period, um, is, is, is some other Teresa quote. Loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. This is a woman who knew more probably about poverty than anybody else, and she knew that at the core, what we all need is to be loved. It's not good for man to be alone. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, don't, don't we need to repent? Yeah, yeah, we do. Do you know what repentance is? It means to turn around. See, when I was growing up, a, a repentance, you know, uttered out of the words of a preacher um, was about stop sinning, right? Stop sinning and, and come to God. That's not what repentance means. Repentance means turn around and come back to God. You're not ever going to stop sinning. I often tell the story of the two priests who were talking about the sins of the flesh, and the older priest and the younger priest were talking, and the younger one said, Father, tell me, when, when will I be relieved from the, the temptations of the sins of the flesh? And the older priest said, Son, I wouldn't trust myself until I've been dead for three days. <laughs> not just dead, but dead for three days. Listen, the goal is transformation. The goal is that we become like Christ, but it doesn't happen immediately. It doesn't happen when you pop up out of the waters of baptism. If it did, we wouldn't have most of the New Testament because most of the New Testament was written to the people who were believers who were still messing everything up. It's a transformation process, and that's what we all do together. 
I was at the wedding of a woman this week who um, three and a half years ago we baptized. I'll never forget baptizing her. She had a rough background and I knew about it. And, and, and the most obvious thing about her is the Dillagaff tattoo she's got on her neck. I mean, there's no way to hide it right here. And if you don't know what Dillagaff stands for, it's do I look like I give a F. I was at her wedding this week. We were chatting about it. She said I could share this. We were chatting about it. She said, I love this tattoo now. Because when people look at me and ask me about it, I say, oh, that means do I look like God's awesome follower? That's transformation. That's the goal. How did it work with Melissa? Well, it worked because we were like Jesus to her, not like the Pharisees to her. You see, the Pharisees caught a woman caught in the, they brought a woman caught in the act of adultery to Jesus. I mean, nobody's going to argue about whether that's sinful or not, one way or the other. Caught in the act of adultery. They bring her to Jesus to test him. And Jesus says, yes, she's guilty. Go ahead. Whoever's without sin, throw the first stone. And they all walked away. Smartest to the, to, the, to the dumbest. They all walked away eventually. And Jesus was left standing there. And what did he say? He could condemn her. He was without sin. He could stone her. But instead of doing that, he said, and it's important, the wording, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. The Pharisees and a whole lot of Christians want to say, leave your life of sin and then we won't condemn you. But that's the wrong order. Yes, there is truth, but we lead with grace. That's where we live. That's where we live. The story in the Bible about some four friends who are maybe the first part few members in the Bible because they got it. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And <coughs> excuse me, so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Let me just stop right there and help you to process this. When somebody says, well, that's a big church. When somebody says, well, you know, a big church is not biblical. It's not right. Everywhere that Jesus went, he attracted a crowd. Sometimes the crowd was so big that he had to do miracles so that they could have some lunch. Sometimes the crowd was so big that he got in a boat and went out into the lake far enough where nobody could stand anymore and maybe a few water treaders could be close to him, but so that he could get far enough out so that he could teach the people. Everywhere he went, he attracted a crowd. Why? Because he could heal people, because he could help people, because he loved people, because he represented God to people in a way that they'd never experienced before. And when that happens, a whole lot of people are going to start showing up. That's the gospel. Some men came bringing a paralytic, a man who needed healing, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him because of the crowd, they... Just, just process this, okay? I couldn't get to him because of the crowd. Seriously? 
If you are standing in the doorway and Jesus is there and you know he can heal people and some guys walk up with a man on a mat that obviously can't walk and needs healing and you know that he can get healing in there and you're standing here and you don't get out of the way, how could you call yourself a follower of God? You're just being selfish. So they made an opening in the roof (laughs) above Jesus and they dug through it and they lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on and when Jesus saw their faith he said to the paralytic son your sins are forgiven I heard Craig Rochelle do it this way he basically said here's what here's what the church was doing around that man there's a there's a man that needs healing out there Jesus is here and they're basically saying well too bad for you we've got ours There's nothing here for you. I want to hear what Jesus has to say. You have to wait your turn. The church ought to be saying, oh, there's Jesus. There's somebody that needs healing. Let's get them together. When that happens, it's going to get get bigger. That's what's going to happen. There's going to be a crowd who wants it. That's, That's how it's going to go. If we can do that, the place is going to get bigger. Um, It happened in the New Testament. You're like, okay, well, what happened after Jesus left? 120, the church started with. Peter preached the first sermon. Not not like an hour-long sermon. We got the whole thing, I think, recorded for us in the book of Acts. 3,000 people got saved immediately. 3,000 people joined the church. Did they have their life figured out? Did they, did, had they re, you know, changed their sinful behavior? Had they fixed everything in their life? Of course not. They probably didn't even understand everything that was going on. But 3,000 people got saved on the first day. That would make it one of the 300 largest churches in the U.S. today at its inception. Please understand that. And then it says the Lord added to their number daily. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 4, we know that there are 5,000 men. They stopped counting the women. They were all going to the bathroom all the time. They couldn't count them, so they just counted the men. <laughs> that, means that, that means that by that time we get to Acts chapter 4, a couple chapters in, there's probably fifteen or 20,000 people in the early church. And the Lord kept adding to them. And you get all the way over to the end of the book of Acts, where it's 25 years later, which is just really important to me because that's how long I've been here. It, it, says the, 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 it says that there were tens of thousands of people in the church. Bible scholars believe that out of a a town of 200,000, which was Jerusalem, that 100,000 of them were already Christians 25 years later. They were already part of this body. Well, that presents a problem, right? What do you do with all that? Well, they met together, the Bible tells us, in their temple courts, which they would still go do do their worshiping together, and in each other's homes. That's the only way that it worked. They didn't have any choice. They didn't have buildings. They couldn't do anything else. They met in the temple courts and in each other's homes. Large group fellowship, small group fellowship. So guess what? One of the things we're going to always ask you to do is get involved in a small group fellowship. And you don't have to get involved in somebody else's. You can lead your own. On your next steps card, fill this out. Think about it. Pray about it. Take it with you. We've already laid out the DVD teaching. All you got to do is... Have a heart, open up your home, 
or find a Starbucks, whatever, serve some snacks, turn on a DVD. It's that simple. We've got all the teaching. We've got all the material for you. It'll be very, very easy. All you got to do is host. You invite some people. You invite some people that you know. Parkview or not, we don't care. Whatever kind of background, we don't care. That would be great. We're going to talk about the soul. We're going to talk about something way more important than your physical health or your mental health. We're going to talk about the one thing that's going to lead for, live on forever. And there's going to be a lot of people that are going to want to hear that. So do it. And we're going to launch more campuses. Because we realize no, no matter what we do here, there's only, a, there's only so much that we can do to get people in and out of this location. And plus, our Lockport campus has gone so well, we're going to do more of that. And I know some of you, I've been ta- having some conversations this week because you knew I was going to unload what we were going to do. Um, and some of you have already said, man, I, I wish you were coming my direction. You probably aren't, but I wish you were coming my direction. Listen, I wish we were going every direction, and we are going to go every direction with a campus because uh, it's, it, it's just the thing that makes the most sense. But we have been trying and trying and trying to go north and east, you know, like 159th and Harlem on north or east or somewhere up that direction because we have so many of you come from the city of Chicago, come from so many places up there, and we have not found a place. So please keep your eyes open up there. I realize every once in a while I realize we have not because we ask not. Last week, I, I said, you know, i got to admit to you, I don't have a Blackhawks jersey. This week, someone brought me my own Blackhawks jersey. Thank you, Jerry. Um, and I just need to mention that I don't have a Mercedes. So uh, just want to make sure you, you, you understand, okay? Here, here's, <laughs> if you build it, we will come. That's our Field of Dreams thing. You find it, you figure it out, we'll come, okay? We're going to New Lenox, okay? Big announcement, we're going to New Lenox. And, and here's why, all right? Here, you can see why we want to go up north and east, because this is a, these little blue dots are our people, where our people are coming from already. This is where our current shepherds already abide. You understand what I'm saying? And we'd love to get up here. Here's our campus now. Here's our Lockport campus. We will be going down into New Lenox. We'll be going down this way. It's going to make a nice little triangle for us to be able to hit the south suburbs down here. It is at the corner of Laraway and Schoolhouse Road. We've bought property. This is vacant property. We're going to build this building from scratch right across from the Jewel Osco. All right? I'm excited. I hope you are. It'll seat uh, 600 people. It'll have all the same children's stuff. All Trevor, young guy, is going to be the worship pastor there. And, uh, and Richie's the campus pastor. And, and you will be on video, whatever's preaching over here. All of that's going to be going together. And I anticipate with a new Linux campus, I anticipate us having to say, okay, nobody else from Orland can go there. Because we want to have room for other, the, you know, the lost sheep. No more found sheep going down there. I, I know you're excited, but, you know, we can't, we can't be doing this to those people. That's what I anticipate happening. I believe that God is just going to blow the doors off. We're before the village right now. Hope to start breaking ground even before Christmas and to be in Christmas of next year. That's our goal, all right? And you might say, oh, what is this campus thing? Aren't there churches in New Lenox already? Absolutely. There's some great churches in New Lenox. That's not the question. The question is, are there lost sheep in New 
Linux? Are there lost sheep in Manhattan? Are there, are there people who need Jesus, you know, in Frankfurt? Are there people who need Jesus that are coming from Joliet or coming from that direction that, that we could reach that would make it easy? And, and it's easier if we got a campus there. So that's what we're going to do. That's where we're going, right? And here is why. Let me just play this testimony for you from Steve. Um, here's why. Steve's from our Lockport campus. Here's why we do this. Um, well, my name's Steve Story. I think I was 12 the first time I was ever arrested. And it was by my mother, but it needed to be done. You know, she, it, it was to the point where she had a, like a, a lock and a thing on her bedroom door because I was always going there stealing money so I can go buy weed or, you know, stealing money to go get more alcohol and... I was I was a I was a jerk. I was not a, I was not a nice kid. Once I could get out and venture around, I kind of uh, started hanging out with the wrong people. In juvenile prison, I was 15, I think, and I was for stealing a car. Um, and then, I mean, I, I've been in prison. Basically, I got about 16 years altogether uh, invested in my criminal career, as I've somehow come to call it. Because it was a career. I mean, it was a daily life. I woke up and I thought about what's the next, what's, what am I going to do today? I didn't have a job, and I was sick enough in my own disease to think that I could keep getting away with it, and I didn't. I've read the Bible cover to cover quite a few times because, well, I had a lot, to, you know, a lot of time on my hands. Um, but I wanted to, to, to learn, and that was when I was really able to like really get into the Bible and really get to know, you know, get to know Jesus and get to kind of figure out, is there still hope? You know, is there still a hope for me, even though I've basically, short of murder, I've pretty much done everything that he says not to do. I think Jesus has funny ways of getting people. You know, he didn't hang out with all the richy people. He hung out with the degenerates. He hung out with, you know, the tax collectors and, you know, they got drunkards and all this stuff. I think it's just his way of saying, hey, look, I can take anybody and with the right motivation, with the right care and with the right love, you can, you, you can create angels out of anything. I am nowhere near to the pinnacle of my ascension, you know, it, from being what I was to who I was created to be. Um, but A, I'm not giving up. I, I've come this far um, and I've, I've, I've fixed a lot of what I broke. And uh, it feels good to, to be able to have your mom say I trust you, you know, and, and, and to have um, people let you watch their children when they barely even know your last name, yet they trusted me just because of who I was working on becoming, and it feels good to be able to have reached that point, and to know that it's only going to keep getting better. People uh, ask me about the name Parkview a lot. That's a question I get in the What We Believe class a lot. And uh, 
I got to be honest, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't like this, we paid a company to like come, come up with this brilliant idea. We had Tinley Park and we moved to Orland Park, so we thought Park was a good idea. And I got voted down on South Park Christian Church. <laughs> so, um, somebody suggested, uh, somebody suggested Parkview. And as soon as I heard that name, I thought, you know why I like that name? It has a medical connotation. But if you think about it, if you look around, Parkview hospitals, Parkview medical, you know, associations, Parkview orthopedics, Parkview is just kind of a, it's got a medical connotation to it. And Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. That, that's, that's what's important. And so Parkview sounds like a hospital, looks like a hospital, smells like a hospital. We are a hospital. Ken Lucard, the president of Christ Hospital, is one of my good friends. And I remember when they were going through the expansion, getting the towers built, getting more beds put in. I don't think anybody ever said, hey, Ken, why are you adding more beds to, to Christ Hospital? And why would you do that? Well, because we're a hospital and we need to help people and we're full. So that's why we keep growing. And we will. And now when people ask me the reason for the name of Parkview, it's because of a Johnny Cash song. I didn't even know it existed. It was when Johnny Cash was doing the Highwayman thing where he was with Willie and Waylon and uh, Chris Christopherson. The four of them used to travel around. I, 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 I wasn't even paying attention to m- music much at, at that point. But their friend Porter Wagner had been institutionalized in a mental institution in Nashville called Parkview. And Johnny Cash wrote this song for his friend Porter Wagner. And uh, it'll, it'll just blow your mind. I'm going to play you a few lines of it so you can hear it. And then we'll pray and have communion. There's a man across the hall who sits staring at the floor. He thinks he's Hank Williams. Hear him singing through the door. There's a girl in 203 who stops by to visit me. And she talks about her songs And the star that she should be There are lots of special people Staying in our passing through And for one thing or another Committed to Parkview There's a girl in 307 Coming down on Thorazine And a superstar's ex-drummer Trying to kick Ben's a dream There's a boy just down below me Who's the son of some well-known He was brought in by his mother Cause his daddy's always gone There's a bum from down on Broadway And a few quiet well-to-do have withdrawn from the rat race and committed to Parkview. There's a girl who cries above me loud enough to wake the dead. They don't know what she has taken that has scrambled up her head. There's a writer and a singer. Who has tried and tried and tried 
They just brought him in this morning and attempted suicide. There are those who never made it, those who did but now are through. Some came of their own good choosing, some committed to Parkview. Let's pray. Lord, um, I, know, I know this song is about a mental institution. Some of those people needed it. Probably a whole lot of those people needed Parkview Church, not Parkview Mental Institution. So we're committed to Parkview. I'm committed to who Parkview is. I mean, I, I just listened to some of those stories, and I, I realized those stories are sitting, listening right now and and that's why we're here that's why we do what we do and I love looking out and seeing people who've been around here for a very very long time and been committed to Parkview and um, I love seeing new people and wondering what their stories are and and wondering why they're coming to Parkview one way or the other uh, we are we are going to find the lost sheep we are going to love the lost sheep we are going to turn sideways and let people come and get in to the healer, <clears throat> to the Savior. And then we will help them, and we will love them, and we will all be transformed together to be like you. But, but right now, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking there are people having communion like me that need to just say, hey, there's no one righteous, not even one, and I don't deserve this. Thank you, Jesus. That's why we do it every week. There may be people who've gone away from you and they were the prodigals, they were the lost sheep. Maybe they were in the fold, maybe they never even were. They, they need to understand that they are welcome here. But Lord, help them to understand it's not, this is not about everybody. This is not universalism. If it was, we wouldn't exist. If everybody just got to go and it was no big deal, then of course we wouldn't be here. We need to help people get to you because you are the way and the truth and the life. And if there are people here that need you, will you help them to turn to do the repentance thing, which means to turn to you and say, okay, I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be my Lord. I'm going to follow you. Let communion today be the first step back to a relationship with you. And Lord, let us help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.